Okay, today I'd like to talk about manipulating the mind. Usually the word manipulation has a negative connotation. So I'm trying to manipulate somebody. And that could mean trying to make somebody like you, trying to curry favor the boss, trying to do something you know, for your own, to get something or to get back at somebody. And this can happen in very subtle ways. And the same is true for the mind as well, that we may be manipulating the mind. And since a lot of us think that my mind is mine, so I should be able to change it as I want. And people try to do that a lot. So, for example, they try to manipulate the mind by trying to forget things that the mind is still holding strongly to. They try to forget and they say, I let go already. Rajiv does not let go. They just forget. Push away. Another way is, they say, I accept. But actually what they do is just tolerate with it and just bluff themselves that, oh, actually I accept. So there's another kind of manipulation, which is also a deception. You deceive yourself that you have let go. You deceive yourself that you have accepted. So that kind of acceptance is not acceptance, it's tolerating. Just keep telling yourself, I accept, but actually not. Hmm? So these are things that we could be doing to manipulate the mind. Just one time I was teaching meditation. I think two weeks ago, people were saying, when I feel unhappy and all that, so I was giving my opinion as to how we can deal with this situation. And one old lady would say, oh, just think about happy things. She's using thinking about happy things to push away. Now, does it mean that uh, we should not do that? We should not think of happy things? Again, it depends. How are we doing this wisely and how are we doing this with defilements? If we are trying to inspire the mind that is very down, in the sutta also it mentions there are certain times you meditation, you try to meditate, but then the mind keeps absorbed into certain thoughts, you know, and feel very down. And the suggestion given is to think and consider of some inspiring sign, pasadaniya nimitta. Usually you understand the word nimitta to mean some bright light, you know, there's a popular meaning of the word nimitta. But over here it obviously means something else. Even the commentaries take this to mean thinking of the Buddha, etc. Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, whichever that inspires you. At that time, because the Buddha was around, so that was their teacher, so they think of the teacher. So if a person is a student of Ajahn Chah, and he loves this man so much, and they think of him, they think of him so highly, so when even they're down, they think of him, ah, they feel inspired. So, wow, this person is such a different person who is able to handle a lot of things, and he doesn't seem to have a problem with a lot of things, you know. Anything is just like unconcerned, it's okay, whatever happens. So when they think about such a person, they feel inspired. So, inspiring sign could be many things. Although the suttas only give these examples, we could have more than that. One of the things that the Buddha encouraged was to have gratitude. One time, when the Buddha asked about gratitude, if I'm not mistaken, the Buddha asked about, is there anybody who has gratitude for this person, this old man? You know? And when the Buddha said, yes, he has gratitude for him. For what? For giving him one spoon of rice. 
just one spoon of rice, and he was very grateful for that. Usually monks are take for granted. La. We go down our show, people are supposed to give us food. <laughs> but Venerable Sariputta was a very wise man, and he saw that this is something that he is worth being grateful for, just even one spoon of rice. Sometimes we fail. We fail to be grateful for a lot of things in our lives. Now you can hear Dhamma. Oh, actually, you're not hearing Dhamma, you're hearing sounds only. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah? You can hear, you can understand things that people don't normally get to hear. There's something worth, really, really worth being grateful for. I'm grateful to be able to do this as well. I have this working body, I'm able to speak. I have eyes that work and ears that work. There's so much to be grateful for. Sometimes, you know, I don't purposely try to be grateful. Sometimes at night, when I lie down on the bed, and I feel so grateful to have somewhere to lie, to spend the night, somewhere safe. There's a roof above, and there's this comfortable... It's not a huge bed, it's just a mattress, but it's more than enough. It's very comfortable, and I have ropes that I could use as my blanket. Then this little hut, this coolie that I'm staying in, there's mosquito netting, so mosquitoes don't come in, and it's all well covered, no rain would get into me, especially when it's raining very heavily. I feel very, very grateful. But a lot of times we take for granted these little things, and the mind is directed to negative stuff. I don't have this, I don't have that, so-and-so don't care about me, this la, that la, uh, my boss is so bad, my salary is so bad compared to people who have better salary. You don't compare to people who have poorer salary. <laughs> and it goes on and on. When the mind is so negative, the list is endless. But if the mind is positive, the list is also endless. There's so many things that you could be grateful for. So many things that is right. No matter how many things that you think that's wrong about you, there are also many other right things that's going on for you. But when the mind is very, very depressed, it cannot, because it's so habitually stuck to thinking about negative things. So even if you want to try to divert it, it still holds on very tightly. So you need like extra effort, you know, really, really extra effort to divert it. If you find it difficult, just ask yourself, do you want to get well? <laughs> Really, really, do you want to get well? It's like, you know, you are sick and then somebody gives you some medicine that tastes really, really horrible. You don't like it. But you ask yourself, do I want to get well? Is it worth? Not worth it. Okay, never mind. Put down. Just continue and see how long you can go. So do you want to get well? If you don't really use this questioning, do I really want to get well? Have I had enough of this? If you think you really, really had enough, then you do something. You'll be willing to do a lot when you had enough. So one way is to inspire the mind. You can think of what is going right with you. In this sutta where this thing about Vasadhaniya Nimitta, it says after this, when the mind is inspired, if you're happy, then you can put this down. Then your thoughts, and then this thinking stops. Then you can feel happy and feel joy. This is meditation too. Don't think that this is not meditation. 
Don't think that this is waste of time. No. The mind needs to be fairly okay. If it's too much, too down, it's very, very hard. Especially if it's been like that for a long, long time. So you need some inspiration. And this kind of manipulation is wise. Now, when we use these ways, when we are trying to inspire the mind and all that, remember one thing. It is not a direct effort to change the mind. It's not a direct effort to uplift the mind. It is putting in causes for the upliftment, putting in causes for the inspiration, for the joy, for happiness to arise. You don't tell yourself, be happy, be happy. Come on, I've already think about so many things to be grateful for. How come happiness still not happening? Not like that. That is trying to technique the mind into submission, you know. <laughs> so that is still unwise. That's trying to tune in, make it like this, make it like that, you know, sort of get it into this specification. What you can do is just put in, then let it work. It's just like growing a tree. Just check if there's enough sunshine, there's enough water, there's, that the earth is fertile enough, it's well protected. Just put in these things and let it work. So long as you're putting in the right stuff. If you put in the wrong stuff, of course, the plant will die. So you put in the wrong stuff in your mind, also it can die. <laughs> so we're only creating causes. We're only investing right causes and let it work. Then in that way, it is not trying to, trying to manipulate the mind into submission. Somebody asked me, you know, this morning when you talk about if you're sleepy, how to inspire the mind. And he remembered, oh, Pante Kumara say, can ask question, why? Because I had my experience, uh, ask, why sleepy? Then the sleepiness went off. So he said, I tried, but cannot work one. I knew <laughs> some wrong attitude there already, I was trying to make it work. It's not like you do it to get it work, it's not like, you know, when you do it with that agenda, I do it and it should work, that's manipulation. You're trying to, that's our defilement. When I asked, why was I feeling sleepy? How come so sleepy? I was not trying to get rid of it. I was not trying to get rid of it at all. I was only seriously, really interested to know why. And because there was such interest in the mind, the sleepiness just can't hold anymore, it just disappeared. And at that time, actually, the first time I experienced that, I didn't know. I didn't know why it went away. I had to ask my teacher, how come it went away? No, I didn't do anything. The sleepiness just disappeared. And he explained that that's because at the time when you ask this question, it is interest. There's interest in the mind. And interest is the wisdom energy. So with that energy in, the sleepiness goes off. And then I understood, oh, that's how it worked. So when there are causes for something to happen, it has to happen. When that is not there, then it doesn't happen. So what we do, remember, this is like looking into the sources. This is taking care of what causes this, what causes that. So we are not trying to make the mind like this. We are bringing in causes for spiritual growth. We are not trying to make our mind grow spiritually. That doesn't work. How to do that? I don't know. If you know, teach me. Maybe I don't know some kind of shortcut technique. We can only put in the right ingredients. That is my experience. 
Of course, this is not just about this and that, sleepiness. It applies to many, many things. Whenever you find any situation that you find difficult to practice, it just means that there's a lack of wisdom. How can we practice in this situation? And this how, which is something that you can ask yourself, you know, how can I practice in this situation? You can ask yourself. And if you can't find any inspiration to know how, then find out. Ask others who may have more experience and I also encourage you to read the book. There's a certain part in the book where it says mindfulness meditation essentials. I think that's somewhere around page 80 something, 85 maybe. Yeah, if you look at the green book, sometimes when you find meditation to be a bit hard going, and look, you might find some inspiration. You might notice, ah, this part, I went wrong here. And sort of the light bulb came up. Boom, you know, it comes up. Then you know how to carry on. Which I've done that for myself. It's just like, I don't know why, sometimes the minds are a bit blur and a bit tun. Eh? <laughs> you just can't see, there's blind spots. We have our blind spots. So there are certain things that we are so used to being blind there already, you cannot see through anything. So we need some external help. We all have our blind spots. So sometimes by reading some book, suddenly we, we understood, oh, this is where I missed out. Sometimes it could be hearing from somebody. And if you don't hear from anybody, you don't find a book, look, look, seek. If you're really, really interested, seek out. Some people here have meditated longer and have more experience. You can just ask. It doesn't have to take a long time. But don't simply ask anybody. Some people may have practiced for a long time, but they have not <laughs> gained much experience. So you have to be discerning as well. But sometimes you can tell certain people seem to be doing much better. You can ask. And it doesn't mean that that person has to be a monk. During the Buddha's time, there was a layman by the name of Chitta, known as Chitta the householder. Meaning to say he wasn't a Brahmin, he wasn't a Katiya, it's not a, what they call in the warrior class or the royal class. He was an ordinary man. And he was declared by the Buddha to be an Anagami. Now an Anagami, is someone who has no greed and no anger anymore. Green anger, eliminated already, doesn't invade their mind. So, Chitta, the householder, was so declared by the Buddha, and he was able to explain the Dhamma very well. So even monks go and learn from him, not just one or two, like sometimes a group go and uh, learn from him. So it doesn't mean that this person must be a monk. And then there was also, interestingly, one monk who was unhappy with him. He was staying in his monastery, Chitta household. Apparently, he owned a monastery. He allowed monk to come and stay there. There was one monk who, over an issue, he wasn't happy about it. He said, I'll go and tell the Buddha. He said, okay, la, you go tell the Buddha. After he told the Buddha, the Buddha said, you go back and apologize. <laughs> so not necessarily. Uh, we have our blind spots. Therefore, it is in the monastic tradition, we have a Sangha, which is very, very useful as a community to support each other. Often monks who are disrobed are one those that are living alone because they don't have the support. 
when they go off, or when the mind starts to think in uninspiring ways, you know, go down. There's no one to notice, there's no one to talk to, and if they stay alone, they go out, they might go further, 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 then they disrupt. Therefore, the support is important because we have our blind spots, we have our weaknesses, and therefore having group support is very, very helpful. Don't ever think that you can do it alone. That's enough. Some people think that, oh, the sutta says, uh, there's this sutta they talk about rhinoceros horn. You know, say, roam alone like a rhinoceros. There are various translations for that. But anyway, popular one is to say, roam alone like a lone rhinoceros. But they see only the last part. They don't read it in context. What it means is that if you cannot find somebody, cannot find people who's helpful to you in your practice, you know, who can be of help to you, you know, maybe for that monk, all those monks around him are all, they don't care about the practice, they do all sorts of things, maybe they drink alcohol, they eat whenever they like, they do all sorts of nonsense. Then, really no point staying with them. Even staying with them is actually worse. Uh, so better to come out. It's safer. But still, if you can find somewhere where there are people who are practicing, that's better. I know some monks who who actually came out of such places. And then they knew if they stayed on, they would have become like them. <laughs> so it's important who you are being with, your circle of friends. If you find yourself very depressed, don't go and look for people who are depressed also. <laughs> you think, oh, you can bond, you know, oh, you are just as bad as me. Huh? But eventually you just go circling down and spiral down because you're sharing negative energy. <laughs> negative information, negative energy, negative thoughts, and it gets worse. But even if you want to go to people who are inspiring, you need to go to them with the right attitude as well. What I've experienced, some people come to me just to unload. Just to complain about this and that, this one, this one, that one. What for? After saying, maybe you feel a bit better, but you don't heal, you don't really recover. It's just an unloading exercise. Okay. After that, you pack it back again. So that is not useful. If you go really inspiration so that you can help yourself, so that you can be healed, then it's helpful. You're really, really interested to get better. You're really willing to do what it takes. You're willing to let go. In fact, you desire to let go. Okay, at this point, I'll talk about desire. Desire to practice is very, very important. It's very necessary. If there's still desire to practice, you will not do it. We also need to understand what's the desire for. Desire to do what eventually? Desire to abandon craving. If there's no desire to abandon, there's no desire to abandon this wanting, then there's no purpose, there's no direction. We all want something. We want people to care about us, we want people to respect us, appreciate us, we want people to approve of us. I notice too, sometimes in the uh, Dhamma discussion, some people when they report, I could tell, they want approval. They want 
to say some things that the teacher would feel happy about. Trying to make the teacher happy about them. Can tell. Um, you want to feel good about yourself. There's also one thing. You want to be able to feel good for whatever reason. You don't want to feel bad. You want to feel good only. There's also kind of one thing. So you will do whatever it takes to get that. Those are not the healthy desires. Those desires don't bring you out of desire. What we need is the other kind of desire which is necessary for freedom. We need to have that desire. Without those kind of desires, we just go around circles. Sometimes I wonder that about myself as well. Sometimes there is more desire to be free and sometimes, well, not so much. So the wisdom needs to come in. If the wisdom don't come in, then you go off wrong direction. So we need to check with ourselves. What do we want? Are we wanting the right things? Are we wanting the wrong things? And how do we know whether it's right or wrong? Simple. Those right things frees us from suffering. Those wrong things brings us more suffering. So you can know whether it's a right wanting or wrong wanting. We need to have an orientation. And the right orientation, you could translate Samasankapa as right orientation. One of it is Nekama, letting go. You need to orientate the mind to letting go. Not orientate the mind to more wanting. More wanting, I can guarantee you more suffering. It cannot be any other way. I like one little, little quote by Jack Confield, one famous American meditation teacher. When wishes are few, the heart is happy. When desire ends, there is peace. Short and sweet, nice. <laughs> when wishes are few, the heart is happy. When desire ends, there is peace. So now some people would question, if we want to end desire, and we need desire to end desire, then how to end desire? <laughs> no end, huh? <laughs> It doesn't work that way. This question was posed to Verma Ananda. And Verma Ananda's answer to that person was, before it came to this Arama, Arama originally it meant park, a park. Not park as like typing lake garden, that kind of park. Like a forest park. So he came to this Arama to meet Verma Ananda and asked him this question. And... Verma Ananda's answer was, before I came here, do you have a desire to come here? I said, yeah, of course, the desire to come here. So, now that you're here, do you have the desire to come here? No, I'm not here, I don't need a desire to come here. So, exactly the same thing. You need to have a desire. And the desire needs to be sustained until you reach there. But you don't have to think I need to reach there, I need to reach there, I need to reach there. Just have to keep on going. You already know the direction. This is the right direction. You just keep going. And eventually you'll be there. Important thing is, it's the right direction. Uh. And don't go here and then up there, go here and then <laughs> you could lead you elsewhere. That could be true in the meditation practice too. That could be true in monk's life too. Direction could go elsewhere. In meditation, some people started off with in the right direction, a wholesome intention, but halfway through, they got distracted by 
practicing for psychic powers. They want to see this, see that. Ah, wow, these are very nice. Dung, dung, dung. Lost. So that is also a kind of blind spot. So if there's somebody who could guide you, tell you, hey, this is not the point, then you can come back. But of course, if you're so attached to that, then there's nothing to say. Lah. I've been rambling from this to that, but there are lots of things to talk about in the practice. Important thing is, we need to be clear in our direction. We need to be clear how to get there. It's always done with wisdom. If there's anything that's not done with wisdom, then it is done with delusion, with defilements, with ignorance. So we need to be watchful and check. Okay, that's all I have to say. Any question? Bhante, I would like to ask is, sometimes, just like you say, halfway through, you know, you just find that the desire is uh, kind of a reduced or lost. How do you suggest what are the things that we can check to, especially in practice, uh, to bring the desire back? What are the things that we can check? How should we check? You know, to, in order to, to arouse the desire again. To arouse the desire? Yeah. To practice? Yes. Mm. Don't arouse the wrong desire. <laughs> okay. A great motivator to practice is suffering. That's the big motivator. Some people have suffered so much, they have lots of desire. Um, they would do anything, anything to be free. But sometimes we don't see things as suffering. We see things as not suffering, as happiness. So in that case, we don't want to be free from that. So there's no desire. So if you want to have a desire to practice, it's obvious that we need to be seeing all those wantings, all those cravings and all that, we need to see them as dukkha. So long as the mind sees them as sukha, what for? Somebody was talking about anxiety. He has anxiety about making sure that he's not late. So he would really, really plan ahead. If his airport requires him to reach the airport two hours ahead, he might try to reach four hours ahead. Right? So that gives him security. Although it's still very much based on anxiety and people find him very odd. You know? Why do you need to be going so early? But he feels that this anxiety is giving him security, right? And you have the anxiety, then you do all the planning, and then you feel secure. So why do I want to give up this anxiety? Because it's making my life better. So in this case, you don't want to give it up. Hmm? Reminds me of this uh, case of man who has a fear of flying. I read this in a book by Brian Weiss. You know, Dr. Brian Weiss is very famous for past life regression. So he met this man, and he said, you know, it's possible to um, do some regression, and it's possible to free yourself from this fear of flights, and you don't have to be suffering from this anymore. And he said, no, 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 I don't do it. He said, why not? You, know, you don't believe in this, is it? No, because lots of people don't believe in it. No, 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 I believe it. I believe it perfectly. I know, it. I believe that if I get your help, you're going to be able to free me from this anxiety, this fear of flying, and I'm going to take a flight and the plane will crash. <laughs> so, thank you very much. <laughs> so he doesn't want to let go. What's the need to practice? What's the need to do anything? He doesn't see that desire as something that's imprisoning him. He doesn't see it as something that is in any way suffering. 
he sees that as something that's giving him security. Right? So, why want to let go? Makes me feel safe. Or it gives me what I want. Whatever. So in this case, it wouldn't. So you need to bring in wise perceptions. That's what the Buddha talked about. Wise perceptions. Anicca dukkanata. So whatever it is you find that's lacking, whether it's anicca that's lacking, whether it's dukkha that's lacking, or it's anatta that's lacking, I mean the perception of it. Things are already anicca dukkanata. You don't have to change that. But the perception of that, that's lacking. So you see what's lacking. I need to develop that. You need to look at things in that manner. Just as I've been telling you all, look at things as just phenomena, not taking it as mine. So in the same way you can apply for anicca and dukkha. That this is impermanent, that it will pass, whether I like it or don't like it. And that this is dukkha. Something that's not satisfactory. It doesn't give me real happiness. So I think this is the three things that is necessary. Okay. Yes. Something when we dealing with our emotion, in the book Don't Look Loud Defilements, we say that we can remind ourselves that they are natural phenomena. Right. So if we keep on remind ourselves that was natural phenomena, it means that it's only the cinta maya panya. So mean that it may not get the inside wisdom. So for a man, why? So me just practice the cintamanya. Right, right. You need it. You need this. You need to have this wise perception because if you don't, the mind is quick, very quick to take that as something personal. So if you don't do this, it's very difficult to see things as they are. So this is wise. And it's important to remember um, to do this with the right attitude. Otherwise, you're going to come to the teacher and say, I already tell myself, this is nature, this is nature, but still it wouldn't work. Because of the agenda. Oh, I do this, this should disappear. It's not meant to make it disappear. It's meant to help you to see things as they are. So I will keep on doing this until I gain the inside wisdom. For the moment, that's what I can do because I cannot do anything else. You need to do it in the right way. The way you said it just now sounded to me like you're just trying to technique it. You're still hoping for insight. You're still hoping, wanting to get something. That's not the right attitude. Leave the insight alone. Insight happens when conditions are ready for it to arise. Leave it alone. For me, experiences of insights, insights happen when I least expected it. That's, wow. If you hope for insight to happen, it won't happen. Why? Because there's greed. When the mind is with greed, it is an unfertile ground for insight to arise. It's like the earth that has some kind of stuff inside there. Maybe it's too acidic. Things cannot grow. Something like that. So you need to be checking whether these things are there. How we are practicing is extremely important. We need to really, really check that. Without knowing what attitude we are practicing with, that's already moha. And with moha, the rest also come in. Like I always say, defilements don't come individually, they come as a gang. So be watchful.
when we use the perception, the right perceptions, we are using it to help us to see things as they are, to help us to not cling so hard, to help us to practice better, not to get something, and even not to get rid of something. Okay? This must be very, very clear in our mind. Another question is, what is natural phenomena? Is that mean that Anicca, Luka, Anatta, or just take it as everybody has the same problem because I don't understand. Natural phenomena means it's just nature. It's just the way it is. Seeing, hearing, tasting, thinking, sensing, just like that. Normally we take certain things as me or mine or myself. So when we are seeing it as just this, just a hearing, just a seeing and all that, we are taking it as natural phenomena. Is it anything to do with uh, anicca, dukkha, anatta? Anatta. It has to do with anatta because my teacher is just trying to avoid the word anatta because it's often translated as non-self. So people would sometimes get very confused. Huh? It means I don't exist and then they don't know how to practice. Then if I don't exist, then why practice? <laughs> right? So he avoids using that. So he uses this, take it as nature. But what it means is that this is not who I am. This is not mine. It's just something that happens. It's just phenomena. Alright? Yes. Bante, I remember you mentioned when you succeed, you will not feel elated or when you fail, you won't feel upset. What kind of a state of mind is that? Succeed, you won't feel elated. Yeah, but um, when you fail, you don't feel upset. So is When that you fail, you don't feel upset. Because That's because of wisdom. That's because of very strong wisdom. It's not a state of mind, it's a quality of the mind. So can we call that upeka or equanimity? Yeah, real upeka happens because of wisdom. In fact, that's true also for metta, karuna and odita. Real loving kindness, real compassion, real empathetic joy are based on wisdom. It's not something that you kind of like try to create. I mean, really, really solid kind of meta. It's not personal. It's not personal effort. It's a natural effort. Like my teacher would say, it's a tamma effort. Some of you who have practiced for some while, if you have gained a lot of experience, you understood the practice well enough, you don't have to make much effort anymore. You know? Only when the practice is going very smoothly. Lah. Don't think that that's true for you. Uh, when the practice is going very, very smoothly, you don't make personal effort. You just let the tamma work on its own. A lot of times that's not true for me. <laughs> also for some of you, I want to point out that if you find your awareness going smoothly at that time, don't use too much effort anymore. In the beginning, it seems like you need to try very hard to be aware. Try very hard. But when it becomes smooth, don't try hard. It's already smooth sailing. Just need to check. Just to sustain. Just check. You just are checking, checking, you maintain already. If you push too hard, you see, and you find yourself going off balance again. And some of you push too hard already. <laughs> so for those of you, you need to loosen a bit. My ta you want say, huh? Let go, let go. Learn to let go. <laughs> you need to know how to fine tune our effort. See, too much, too little, 
eventually when you know how to fine tune just nice, you know, it's like learning how to ride the bicycle. Once you get it right, it's very easy. It's not hard going. You just need to keep it up. That's all. Bhante, on the awareness thing, hmm. I find that the awareness, you know, it is a kind of sharp, sharp in the sense that, yes, you notice everything, including the thoughts. You see the thoughts and the whatever emotion, all relatively, yeah, hmm. to the previous that I felt. Okay. Yeah, but the only thing is, uh, I want to know, it's just not sustainable. It's because greed or... I don't know what. Whenever awareness drops away, it's always because of some defilements. It's always some defilements. Sometimes for some people's eagerness to get a little bit of success, they want more of it, so they can be very eager. That will also cause it to drop away. But not necessarily eagerness because of practice. It could be eagerness for food, that also will cause it to drop. Eagerness to do anything, eagerness to speak, that also will cause it drop. Some people during Dhamma discussion, I can see, lost already. So eager to speak, they lost it. Or sometimes not necessarily because of speaking, you see them just staring blankly. Maybe because they heard something from somebody, reminded them of something, and then you see them going blank. You know, lost already in their own little world. So at that time, moha, very strong. So it's always because of some defilements. If you want to know, not difficult. You just need to check your mind where you just recovered. Usually you don't know when you lose it, right? You can't even recall if your sati is not sharp enough. You can't even recall how you lost. But when you recovered from awareness, at the time, the state of mind that brought the loss is still there. So you can check. And you can become familiar with this. And next time, when you see this thing happening, oh, you know already. Happening, happening. This thing is coming already. In this state of mind, it's easy to lose it. You could be working, you could be on using the computer, right? I say suddenly you're very eager to do something, very eager to find some information, very eager to reply to somebody's email. And when you're so eager to do that, you're lost in it. Then when you suddenly realize, oh, wow, I got sucked into it already, uh, into computer jhana already. Uh, then when you're aware, then you can still find the eagerness still going on. It's still there. Hmm? At that time, you can stop for a while and get familiarize yourself with this state. If you feel that you need to do this during the Dhamma discussion, please just let me know. Right? Can I stop for a while? I need to watch something. Okay, okay. <laughs> you can go to the next one. You don't have to be so fixated. You have to be, you finish, then you just tell me. So you can watch, how is that state of mind like? Know it, get a hang of it. Oh, it's like this. So next time when it happens again, you become aware. Oh, I lie liao. Coming, this state of mind is growing, it's becoming stronger. Then you become more and more skillful, more knowledgeable, more wiser about the practice. Oh, it's like that. This now, no, okay. When this happens, oh, the awareness, you can actually see the light of awareness is going dimmer. This eagerness or whatever defilement is getting stronger. Then you know, ah, need to step back and check. Then you don't fall into it. If you miss it, you don't remember the check, gone. Then you recover again, next time. My teacher says, it's something like playing a computer game. 
Anyone played Mario Brothers before? You know, maybe you don't know the name. You go, this guy go, ding, 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 ding. At the beginning, is this size. And if he gains something, he will go, do, 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 do. He go bigger. You know. So it's like playing a game, and then when you win something, you become stronger. It's like in meditation, your faculties are greater, lah, stronger. But sometimes the defilement stronger, you get hit, pop, and then it becomes smaller. Do, 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 do. So meditation is like a computer game too. Uh, when you do well, you reach a certain point, uh, the certain part, then it goes bigger. And you grow bigger, bigger. As you practice, the awareness becomes bigger. As you see something and you practice in the right way, your wisdom grows. Keep growing. And then later, maybe defilements come and you, you lost, get hit, pop. You find the awareness become weaker. So it goes like that, like that. But uh, Bhante, like you said, yes, it is true that at the point that you lost, not to say that you lost it completely, I am not too sure exactly when the mind actually kind of the starting point. I see how it fades, it just goes off slowly, slowly, you know. But at which point it starts that I do not know. Mm. It's like going to sleep. You find the mind drifting, drifting. You know when is the time you sleep. So no need to know when it starts. When it's going, if possible, don't fall. Don't fall into that unknowing state. Be watchful of what's happening as it happens. So it means to say that at the point that I notice, it's just like a waning off. That the awareness is dimming. Yeah, yeah. 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 So... Know what is causing it. Know what is causing it. Whenever the awareness is dimming away, there's some kind of department. And one may be particularly more obvious. Whether it's desire or it's aversion or it's delusion. And what I mean by eagerness there is also some form of desire. Want to do it quickly. Okay, so I think that's all for now.